looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Mo! Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week is no exception. Welcome, everybody, to Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Great to have you back for episode 55. Special episode 55, because it also marks the one-year anniversary of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. Can you believe it? It's been an entire year of amazing guests and interviews and episodes. If you're new to the show, go to jeffisfunny.com or the CastBox app or wherever you listen to your podcast and catch up because there's a lot of great stuff there just awaiting for you. Today's episode is no exception to all that goodness. We have Al Jean with us today. Al Jean, that's right, the writer, producer, executive producer, showrunner of The Simpsons. That's right. Al Jean is with us. Fun conversation coming up in just a few minutes. Since it is my one-year anniversary, I do want to take another moment to thank all of you for liking, subscribing, following my podcast, telling all your friends about Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dawaskin Show means the world to me. If you're like, wait a minute, I haven't told any of my friends, then after the show, go tell all your friends. That way, when you listen to this episode again one day, you won't get that gut-wrenching feeling of guilt that you're feeling right now. But anyway, moving on. Thank you all for listening week after week. It means the world to me. Since it is my one-year anniversary, I do want to thank a few people. It's so exciting to get to episode 55. So many podcasts don't even make it past episode 10, and here we are going strong. I want to thank Aaron Weinbaum for all the help early on with equipment. I want to thank Nate Armbruster for personally coming over to my house and plugging stuff in and showing me some production tips. I want to thank my brother John Dwoskin for all the advice and help that he gave me along the way. I want to thank my wife. I do not want to thank all my friends on Facebook who have never listened to my podcast. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course, I want to thank all my guests, both past and future, for sharing your words with me, for trusting your words with me so that I could share them with my audience. It means the world to me. Thank you all for an amazing first year, and I'm so excited for what's to come. I do want to do a quick shout out. Huge thank you to Lee for buying me a bunch of coffees at buymeacoffee.com slash Jeff Dewaskin show to celebrate my one-year anniversary. So kind of you, Lee. I appreciate you so much. Cheers to you. And now it's time for the social media tip. This is the fun part of the show where I bestow a little bit of my social media knowledge and some news that I've heard on the street with you. It's one of my favorite parts of the show. It's quick, to the point. Go Google whatever you need to Google after that. For those of you listening to past episodes, you know I had the honor of being the guest of honor on Madeline Sklar's Twitter chat, hashtag Twitter Smarter, last week. That was tons of fun. A lot of great Twitter knowledge bombs were dropped. But since it is my one-year anniversary of my podcast, I did want to share a few ways for you guys out there listening to get your voice out there. You don't have to necessarily start a podcast. There are other options. Option one, Clubhouse. You're like, but Jeff, I only have an Android and that's only for iOS. Well, not anymore. Now it's on Android also. You go on there and you can talk and share knowledge live and interact with other people. It's great. Shoot me a DM or tweet at me at Jeff DeWaskin Show. I might have some invitations that I can extend you on Clubhouse. Another great tool, of course, is Twitter Spaces, which I know we've talked a little bit about in the past, but they keep uh, making it better. You can now schedule Twitter Spaces, and it's soon to be open to everyone, which is awesome. So it's another great way to kind of have a meeting of the minds, talk to other people, and share your voice. So check those out. Hopefully I'll be hearing you soon. And that's the social media tip. And that wraps up a year's worth of social media tips. Can you believe it? So much information at your fingertips. You're welcome. Maybe I'll go put those all into a book. Then you can download the book 
and I could be a New York Times best-selling author, world-renowned author and podcaster, Jeff DeWaskin. Hello, everybody. Whoa! I could live with that. I could deal with that. This past year has been amazing. In addition to pretending to be a best-selling author, I was honored to be named one of the top 25 indie podcasts of 2020 by Indie Pods. The inaugural Snobby Awards blessed me with Best Comedy Podcast, Best Interview Podcast, and Podcaster of the Year. Thanks to Mick Manhattan and all they do over there at the Scene Snobs Network. Awesome folks. So the first year has been amazing. Part of what made it so amazing and what enabled us to keep going week after week is your support of the sponsors. I can't thank you enough. When you support them, you're supporting me and you have never failed week after week. This week's sponsor, is your doctor giving you a hard time about not having enough trans fats in your diet? Sounds like you could use a donut. That's right, deliciously fried dough. That's the worldwide sensation you've been reading about and smelling in break rooms for years. Whether ring-shaped or covered with maple glaze, sprinkles, chocolate, or powdered sugar, or filled with fruit preserves, cream, or custard, there's a donut filled with trans fat waiting for you. So stuff your face with a donut and your doctor is sure to notice. Your trans fats are through the roof. Great job. Thanks, Doc. High amounts of sugar, calories, and fat await you. Grab a donut today. Found conveniently at your favorite donut store, cafe, or gas station. All right. Who doesn't love donuts? I know, right? Grab one today. It being my one-year anniversary, it's very exciting for me to be talking with Al Jean, who's been the executive producer of The Simpsons since season 13. He was hired as one of the original two writers for The Simpsons, To talk to someone who's been so entrenched in pop culture and a show that's touched so many of our lives over these 32 seasons was just... (laughs) Who's calling in the middle of my amazing introduction? Hello? Who's this? It's me, Jeffrey Dwoskin. Oh, wow, you know who Jeff Dwoskin is. Is that Jeffrey? Is that the giraffe from Toys R Us? No, it's the Jeff Dwoskin show. Oh, no, I love giraffes. Well, try to say hello nicely. Hello! Who is this? Homer, you're being rude. You know, it's Jeff's first year anniversary show. Say happy anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary. Well, say it like you're happy. Happy anniversary! Now let's talk about Al Jean. Is Al on your show? Yeah, Homer, now you can talk about Al Jean. Woohoo! I've had most beer with Al Jean many times. You never told me that. Well, it's not your business. I was at Moe's. Tell us what you're going to talk to Al Jean about. We're going to talk about a lot, but I think a lot about you guys, for sure. Do you suppose Al wears jeans all the time? Oh, I get it, Al Jean. Jeans. Jeans, isn't that funny? That is very funny, Marge. Maybe we should have gotten Al Jean a pair of jeans. What about Al Jarreau? I wonder if Al Jean knows Al Jarreau. Jeff, you gotta ask him that. Yeah, because Al Jarreau sings great songs. He's better than Al Jean's singing voice. Have it's you a... heard Al Jean sing? At once, just like Jeff's podcast that I never want. No. Yeah, oh, yes, all the, all, the time, all the time. All the time, Jeff. We listen all the time. Single podcast. And we're huge fans. We look up to you, Jeff Dwaskin. Woohoo! Jeff Dwaskin and his first anniversary special edition. Yay! Well, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Maybe a little spider pig before you go? Spider pig, spider pig, does whatever a spider... Well, I don't know the words, else words aren't in front of me, I get lost. You just try to sing it, that's the best you can do. Does whatever a spider pig can. Can he climb? Sure, why not, he's a pig. Well, that was exciting, huh? You never know who's going to call into Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. But this seems to me the perfect segue. And now, ladies and gentlemen, my interview with Al Jean. All right. I am so excited to introduce you to my next guest, writer, executive producer, TV icon, Al Jean. Al, welcome to the show. Very glad to be here. Al and I both grew up on the mean streets of Farmington Hills. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always tell people, okay, Eminem's eight mile, we're 12 mile. So, you know, or maybe like half as tough. <laughs> exactly. Half as tough. <laughs> Before the interview, I was uh, telling Al about when I was growing up, his father owned Jeans Hardware. And this is before all the big box hardware stores. And I would go there with my dad very frequently. It was like a thing. We would go and, you know, he'd be buying stuff. I had no idea what he was buying, but he'd upstairs, downstairs, all that kind of, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
So that was that was neat. And I remember like watching The Simpsons all the time. Anytime Al Jean, your name would come up on the screen, I'd be like, Jean's hardware. <laughs> so that was a, a nice thing. Yes. In fact, this week, uh, Bob Seeger, Detroit area, is on the show. And uh, my dad used to run in U-Haul trucks. Oh, really? So, yeah. Bob Seeger is the best. I love Bob Seeger. I saw that he was going to be on. That's exciting. Is he singing or just a talking? A little singing. little singing. I can't have him not sing. Exactly. I love the Tom Petty when Tom Petty was on. They play that a lot on the Tom Petty channel. He was a fantastic guy. I worked with him on the Gary Shandling show too. And he would just come in and no pretension, just one of the guys. It was really, really nice. Very sad when he passed. Yeah. Oh, that was, it was horrible. I, I was supposed to see him at, I'll call it Pine Knob too, but like uh, I was supposed to see him at, for the big 40th and like my friends that we were going to supposed to go with wouldn't go see him because it was like $100 a ticket. It was pretty expensive. I'm like, yeah, I'll see it next time. And then he passed away and I, I became obsessed with the uh, Tom Petty channel on Sirius XM. But yeah, that was quite a quite a loss. But they always play the Simpsons clip. It's always on. Where he's <laughs> oh, that's good. So you went to Harrison High School, but you you left for Harvard when you were 16. So how long were you actually in high school for? Four years. I started uh, a little early and I skipped second grade. Harrison that time was only three years. It was 10, 12. So um, I was at uh, Warner Junior High for ninth grade. And then now I understand Harrison, you know, with all the championships and everything is closed. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a great build. I mean, I actually lived across the street from the school. I saw the building go up as a kid. And so I sure hope they could use it for like a rec center or something for seniors. It's just a great, you know, tennis courts and all of it. I was a North Farmington guy, but we always used to tease that Harrison kind of looked like a jail from the outside. It did. <laughs> yeah, from the minute it went up, it was strange. But it was it was nice inside. I mean, I was stunned when it closed. Did you skip second grade? Because you're you're a math whiz. That's what I I was reading. You're. <laughs> I was a math major. Yeah, college for uh, all the good it did me. Graduated at sixteen, which I don't recommend because like you can only learn to drive in your senior year. It's very very hard to ask anybody out on a date. Uh, you get through faster. And you know, my dad. Part of it was I didn't really want to work at the hardware store. So I got out at 16, I got two years off. So that was an, that was an attraction. So you were so motivated not to work at the hardware store. You left for Harvard and then later created the longest running TV show of all time. All right, well, that's that's a hell of a motivation. I wish I was motivated that much. I wish I was motivated that much by my dad. <laughs> the, the hardware store also got, so the show was outlasted the school and the store. It was crazy. When Gene's hardware closed, that was sad. I was sad when that closed. It was like... Yeah. Uh, you know, what happened was it was the bigger stores all, I think there was a Sears within a mile and maybe a Home Depot. So they would ask questions of people that worked at Sears, uh, uh, Jeans, and then they would go buy the item at Sears. So people weren't buying from us. Yeah, it is really hard to do all against like a corp. Yeah, the little shop around the corner type thing. It's hard to compete. It was, I've got some good memories there. Cool. All right, so you went to Harvard. At Harvard, you met your future writing partner, Mike Reese. And then is Airplane 2, is that accurate? One of your first writing gigs? It is. We um, we were on the Harvard Lampoon, which is uh, the college magazine. And he got there first. He wanted to be on it. And when he got joined, he was my roommate. And I just thought the people that he met, that I met through him, were just the funniest guys in the world. They were so just in the corner of the room and laugh. And I still work with like half of them. So I joined after him, he'll be get on. And then we went to National Lampoon, which was a professional magazine, semi-professional, for uh, six months. Because of an article we wrote there, we were hired on to Airplane 2 as like punch-up writers. And the article that we wrote was um, Thurgood Marshall, the Supreme Court Justice, uh, because the judges review uh, pornography to see if it's obscene. We had him telling the reader how to write pornography. It was like a how-to article. Put it out of the magazine. It looked like an authentic Yeah, so he got a hold of it and told the FBI, find out who wrote this and arrest them. And they said, it's a humor magazine. It's freedom of speech, Mr. Justice. So I have an FBI file somewhere. I'm sure we all at this point, too. (laughs) You also wrote for The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. So that's pretty awesome. It was awesome. Uh, Meeting him was like meeting the president or something. Just a really amazing thing. But you very rarely saw him. In the year and a half I was there, I saw him in person maybe three times. I mean, you would go down and see him at the desk doing the show, but to actually like be in a room where he was saying something to you was very, very rare, very aloof. I called him the Citizen Kane of comedy, and they did a documentary where they, they showed that his his rosebud was like magic. He loved doing magic tricks when he was a little kid. It was his way to get out of Nebraska and, and to showbiz. That's cool. So did you write monologue jokes or also just some of the sketch type stuff? Everything but the monologue. So he wrote Karnak. 
and the edge of wetness and any sketches. Occasionally he'd have um, non-showbiz people he would interview. So he'd like suggestions, like if he was interviewing a very elderly lady or something, although he never needed them. He always was really funny with, with them. And then one time uh, each year he'd do these actual kids letters to the New York uh, post office department to Santa. So the kids asking Santa for stuff and then go, you can't make these up. They're just too sweet. And then one year we got the notice from the head writer, the letters suck. You got to make them up. <laughs> so we had to write the letters and the joke. That is really funny. Did you ever perform or as, as a writer, have you just always written for other people? Very little. I've been on a lot of panels. I you know, did a lecture tour of two places before we moved on to the next job. But I have a huge admiration and a little bit of fear, you know, respect for stand-ups because it's really hard. They go up with nothing and they're trying to get a group of people on their side. And the ones, you know, like Seinfeld or Sarah Silverman that do it well, they're really impressive. So my question is, so as a, as a writer, so obviously you take great pride. You must love hearing other people say your words and then having other people react to those words and know, oh, I put those in his mouth. Well, the amazing thing with The Simpsons is that the megaphone is so huge. Like, I, I really did get a uh, Valentine in the third grade that said, I choo-choo-choose you with a picture of a train. And the girl wrote, I really do. And I thought, oh, she really likes me. Wow, that's great. And we turned that into a Ralph story. And now that Valentine is probably the most famous Valentine in the history of Valentine's. Or I, you know, I, I were trying to think of a drink for Moe's bar. And I said, how about the Flaming Moe? And now they make one at Universal Studios that you can buy for eight bucks, non-alcoholic, so the kids can drink. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so I like, I, to see these things actually exist is beyond, you know, anybody's imagination, I think, or by beyond mine, at least. So what's it like to create something that then just becomes so part of pop culture? Because those, those are the things, that's what we were talking about right there for a second. I'll get back to the writing in a minute. But like, you create the Flaming Mo, it comes to life at Universal, you know, Duff Beer is now a thing you can buy. Like, what is it? It's mostly fantastic. I, I mean, the, the, the only drawback is in your show business, everybody's in your business. And so if somebody doesn't like an episode or there's some criticism, everybody knows it and is, you know, on your case. But the things that come with it, for example, I'll go to a comic convention and, you know, someone will come up and go, you know, when I was a kid, I was going through a hard time. My parents were getting divorced. Your show really kept me going. And I go, well, that couldn't mean more. Or you go to another country. I was in Italy with my wife. They said, you know, what do you do for a living? And I go, I work for The Simpsons. And they go, oh, The Simpsons. And they were so happy. And to get a happy reaction from a stranger in a foreign country just because of what you do for a living is really great. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, just to be able to touch people's lives. and It's wonderful. I, that irreplaceable. So it'll seem a little shallow for me to re-ask that. What was it like when Johnny Carson <laughs> was saying your words? I mean, because like when you're first starting out, this guy's the kingpin, right? So it's like, it must have, that must have been. I have to say, I do respect him enormously. For what he was, he still remains to me the most charismatic late night host ever. One story I can tell you is there was a magic word he discovered that would always get a laugh. And that word was McNuggets. So I wrote this joke that the McDonald's was looking for new products and the celebrities and the Joan Collins had, uh, was producing bitch McNuggets. So I wrote that joke and my writing partner goes, I don't really get it, but we'll put it in the pack. And the head writer walks in and he goes, I don't really get this bitch McNuggets, but I'll put it in. And then you see Johnny with the paper, he's reading it and his eyes go like, what? What is that? He reads it aloud and it gets like a standing ovation. And you can see him go, what the? So that's the power of the word McNugget. It's an awesome word. It is. <laughs> How many times were you able to slip that in or was that the one magical time? Oh, no, you never did it once. If something worked, I mean, you couldn't do it. We actually did get a meeting once where they were saying, okay, enough with the McNuggets. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote 40 jokes a day for Jack, of which you'd use maybe five. You did like five, you got a good number in. It's like a lot of writing jobs. You would think it was super exciting because, again, everybody watched that show, but you're just sitting in a little office. You know, nobody knew the writers. You just wrote your 40, and then you would watch the show live, like 5.30 and go home. Sometimes we work extra hard and like write some for the next day or something. Got it. You wrote on one of my favorite shows, Elf. <laughs> Elf was a lot of fun. Uh, Paul Fusco did the voice of Elf and operated the puppet. He is a really, really funny guy, and his character really provided a lot. The big anecdote I can provide from that is something I found out years later, which is the cast was losing their minds because the way Elf operated, there were uh, trenches. Elf, the puppeteer, would be down in the trench holding a puppet parallel to the performer. But the performers were so terrified of making their move and then falling in a trench, you know, breaking their neck, that they said it was, it was you know, a three-day shoot. They just said if it had been another year, they, they would have gone berserk. It was just so uh, technically difficult. 
Oh, that's funny. And you might have seen too, Alf, you know, there was an opening shot where there was a little person in a suit running around. That was only like in the opening of the, sh- of the show that you never really saw Alf move that much or go that many places. You know, it's really hard to actually make him do something or go somewhere. So was the Tonight Show crossover with Alf, was that your idea or you just happened to be there? And It wasn't my idea. We had left Alf to work on the Gary Shandling show and the Alf writers said, hey, we're doing a crossover. Do you have any Johnny Carson jokes he rejected? Like, yeah, we have about 2,000. And um, we did. We got one on the Alf Tonight Show, which Johnny never did, which is uh, St. Elsewhere. What's on Mother Teresa's answering machine? The other Carnac. That was good. You never let anything go to waste. Perfect. Because Alf probably killed with it. Yeah, it, it, it did work. And yeah, I was very happy they asked us. That was really fun. So as much as I did later love Larry Sanders, It's Gary Shanley Show is one of the, the best, I think, sitcoms ever. I would say I thought so before I worked at it. Like the first two years, it before its time was unbelievable and revolutionary and just the most brilliant thing. I had nothing to do with it. I fully stand by that opinion of those two years. The theme song was brilliant. I wasn't there, but uh, Gary and his writing partner, Alan Zoybel, Gary said the first part, this is what we're looking for. And they went down the elevator. By the time they got down, they had written the song. Like they just ad-libbed it. It's great. So yeah, everybody loved that song. And then what, what, they, what they would do with it was really clever. And Gary, I would say, I mean, I met a lot of funny people, but he's in the top five. I mean, he was just one of the sheer funniest people I ever met. And it's just very sad he's no longer with us. This is actually five year anniversary of his passing. It was one of my favorite comics, uh, stand up yeah. comics. What was it like working on the show? Because this was the show you worked on just before going to The Simpsons. Well, it was a good reading around The Simpsons because it was a really prestigious show. We won some Ace Awards. It was extremely relentless production. Gary, although really funny, wasn't great at organizing. He tended to just keep getting ideas, but not committing to the last minute. And then he would wait and rewrite till the wee hours of the morning. And I remember like one time after you know the season ended, I went home and I slept till three the next afternoon because I was so exhausted. And what he would also do is he would always change jokes. And then he would do the joke, the second version, and, and then he'd go back and, and put in the first one that looked like he was ad-libbing it in the next day. But it was actually the first thing we did in the beginning of the week. <laughs> it was like, see, it worked all along. And he was really funny. Like, you know, all writing rooms are, are a little cranky. So when he would come up the stairs to join us, he'd go like, okay, I'm coming. Stop whining about me. <laughs> he'd join us in the room. And uh, it was very game to do stuff. A very sad a guy had a, had a very tragic upbringing, turned that into an enormous sense of humor. His comedy was definitely a gift. Between between that and the Larry Sanders show, those... And Larry Sanders, it was, was great, yeah. And I was just recommending it to somebody. He asked us if we wanted to write on it, but we were already on The Simpsons, and it's just, I, you know, I had a chance to work where he might have wound up on Seinfeld, which was, was fantastic, but I've never turned down The Simpsons. <laughs> How did The Simpsons come about? How did that opportunity present itself to you? Matt Groening had done Life in Hell comics, and I was a fan of those. A woman named Polly Platt showed them to Jim Brooks, who's to me like the best television writer, among other things, there ever was. Matt Talibor and Taxi. Jim hired Matt to do short uh, Simpsons shorts for his Tracy Ullman show. They originally were going to do the Life in Hell characters, but Matt didn't want to give up his copyright. So he basically, the story goes, in the waiting room for the pitch, he just sketched his family and his style. So you know, it was Homer, and this is this dad's name, and Marge is his mother's name with the big hair. And, and he showed them that, and then Jim said, that looks funny. So he did about 50 of those. David Silverman, one of the directors, said, you've got to make it into a series. This has got so much potential. So they asked Sam Simon, who worked with Jim, to develop it with Matt and turn it into a series. Sam, we knew from Gary Shandling, when his first choice wasn't available, he hired us, Mike Reese and me, to be the first staff writers on The Simpsons, which was the luckiest break anyone ever got in show business. That was hands down loved out to be there at the beginning. So we worked on the first full episode, the Christmas episode, and the second full episode, Bark the Genius. We wrote three episodes out of the first 13. And then in season three and four, they asked us to run it. And back then, it was always like, well, you, you, you run somebody else's show, and then you got to create your own show. You got to create your own show. So we created The Critic, and we created a show for Disney, Teen Angel. But all the time I was at Disney, I was like, I just would rather be back at The Simpsons. You know, it's just, you don't have to explain why it's funny. You can, you can you know, get the money you need for what you want. The writers are great. The Because of Jim and Matt, the atmosphere is great. So when I got back to The Simpsons in season 10, I haven't left since. You mentioned The Critic. So that was a very funny show. That was with John Lovitz. 
we did totally backwards. We were doing this show with Jim. He managed to develop our own show about backstage at AM News Show. Mike had suggested that there be a, a funny critic like Gene Shallot. Jim came in. Uh, he'd seen a screening of League of Their Own, which Lovitz stole the show. And he said, what do you think of John Lovitz? And we said, we love Lovitz. He could be the critic. And then we brought him in, but we didn't have a script. And he was like, well, I can't do it until I read a script. And they couldn't make a deal. It was like too hard. And I said, well, wait, what if we need a lot of career uh, stuff at the time, a lot of movies he was doing. So I, I said, what if we made it animated? Then we could do our movie parodies. He could do it within a schedule. It wouldn't be as expensive to get him, you know, paid well, but not, you know, like what a live action star would. It all clicked, except it didn't quite, it, it had one flaw, which I uh, admit to. It was on a ABC after Home Improvement, and it just didn't match. It wasn't, uh, our show was uh, like a little depressing, and at least in the first season, a little like downbeat, and the audience just dropped off from Home Improvement. But the network said, you know, we just don't know where we would put it on our schedule. They were right. Uh, then we went to Fox, and we actually did, were getting good ratings after The Simpsons, but uh, there was backstage stuff at the head of the network. But he didn't want anything that he hadn't. It was his predecessor had bought it, and that's a long story. It was a great thing to work on, and we were, you know, hugely talented people. Maurice LaMarche, who's won two Emmys, Garrett Graham, the late Christine Cavanaugh, who was the voice of Babe the Pig, it was wonderful. It was really fun. So then from there, you went, you went back to The Simpsons, and you've been there from season 10 to now 32, right? And like 32, and two more coming. Right. And you just had your 700 episodes, which is yep. exciting. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, these numbers, somebody said, well, are you going to do a thousand? And I said, you know, 300 more is a lot. <laughs> like it's 12 years. Most shows don't get to 300. So, you know, maybe I love The Simpsons, so I'd be happy. But, you know, again, these things happen where you go, I just can't even take it in. We're on 700. I mean, that's a crazy number. I feel like you'll get to a thousand. I watched an interview with you and you just said that you had the same exact reaction when they were saying, hey, we just had episode 500. <laughs> yeah. The biggest thing is we, we just underwent a major change, which was we were a Fox show owned by the Fox studio, which meant it made money for the network and, and for the studio. So it was pretty likely we'd keep going. Now we're owned by Disney. And I think their main interest is Disney Plus which has been an unbelievable success. It has 100 million subscribers and we're on it. So that's like sort of the way people see us the most now is on Disney+. Plus. So at some point they might go, no, we'd rather you be like a Disney Plus series and do six episodes annually or, you know, you know the way like WandaVision was. And I don't know how that'll work. You know, the TV business is changing so dramatically. Like at Fox now, you get like a, a less than a one rating and you stay on the air. So, I, you know, they still, they still sell commercials. So they're still making money, but it's it's hard to see exactly if you, this model is going to continue the same way for very long. Yeah, it was funny. I remember when, when The Simpsons debuted on Disney Plus, it was a whole controversy because they changed some of the ratios which then oh yeah block some of the visual jokes and yeah they changed the four by three and um but there is a, a little toggle you can do to get to four by three if that's the way you want to watch they, they put that in they listen to what people wanted if you had asked me to pick a streaming service to go on i couldn't have had any better choice than disney plus it you know smashed all the expectations of its success its first two original series are both smashed and um you know, I love being sort of a, a team with Star Wars and Marvel. I mean, you know. You're in good company with The Mandalorian and WandaVision yeah. and all Marvel and all that kind of stuff. So do you do you find like people are just now re are discovering everything and just kind of binge watching it? Do you get the numbers that people just kind of start at the beginning? And yes. There's two things. The pandemic, which, of course, is terrible, did lead to a lot more binge watching. People could actually go like friends of my daughters who go, OK, should I watch the first 20 seasons and things that they couldn't have time for year earlier? It's great to just bring a new uh, generation of kids uh, in the U.S. and overseas because to them it's all fresh. Although Disney Plus is fantastic, there's no other series that has anywhere near the library of The Simpsons. So something you can really get into. Plus, let's like say it really in the show we've done Disney parodies, Star Wars, <laughs> Marvel parodies. You know, I mean, we really fit the product. Let me ask you a question in terms of like Disney Plus. So not just your show, but uh, other shows have had this criticism as well where they'll say, these are the glory years. And then, you know, it's never as good as this and all that kind of stuff. For me, I remember like with Seinfeld, for example, I, you know, it was like the later episodes, you know, but now you watch them and it's like, I don't know what season it's from and I love them all. Do you feel like as people are starting to watch them throughout, you know, can just binge it, people can now just binge it, that that mentality is kind of was really kind of driven more by, oh, we have to wait three months and now the expectations and there's always like these expectations. And once you remove those, it's like, oh, I'm just watching The Simpsons. 
That's that's my hope. I mean, yeah, I've, we've certainly gotten that criticism as much as anybody because we've been on as much as anybody, uh, as long as anybody. But uh, I can only say we work as hard as we ever did. We care about the show as much as we ever did. The hardest thing, really, is hard is to think of something that's fresh for us. And you know, another thing that bothers people is Bart has a cell phone. But I go, well, people do. I, you can't you can't have them with just like old bell and candle phones. That would look odd. You know, they have to live in the world that the TV viewer is living in now. With the exception that we only had one scene where they had COVID masks and stuff. That was like a voting scene. Other than that, I think that's going to look weird in five years, you know, when a show does that. I was watching episode 21 of season 30. And the reason I specifically picked that episode out just before we talked is because you make fun of the Detroit Lions in it. And it's in it. <laughs> it is more than one. Which, which episode was that? Uh... It was Dope, Dope, Dope Canada. Yeah. Where it's a, the, the joke is Detroit Lions fans, all tickets still available. <laughs> well, it was that they were trying to get back into the U.S. from Canada and everything else was sealed at the border, except <laughs> the Lions ticket entrance was wide open. Right, exactly. It was so funny. <laughs> but my point is I, I was watching and I'm like, this is it was hilarious. It was a great episode. And I was kind of going back and forth. I rewatched the first episode because I, re- I just wanted to kind of refresh it. I did have a question. I don't know if this is just something I don't know where in my head, but is the is the episode Marge versus the monorail? Are you making fun of Detroit in that episode with the people mover? I'd always heard that, but I couldn't find anything to substantiate. I don't think so, because that episode was definitely conceived of by Conan O'Brien. And right. that, that the town should get a monorail that's like a you know, a music man kind of guy selling him this chintzy monorail. He's from Boston. So I don't know where his his monorail experience would have come from, but I don't think it was Detroit. That was for some reason I had always thought that. And that made sense. I'm like, oh, well, Al's from Michigan. So that would make sense that they would make fun of that. There's, there's, a, there's a few things that come from Detroit. Definitely all the Lions jokes, which never go out of style. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, You can never, never miss. And then uh, I did uh, rewatch the first Treehouse of Horror, which is a great kind of themed episode that you watch. And then I was watching and one of the gravestones had Paul McCartney on it, which I thought was funny. Oh, well, you know, it's funny because like people forget that was a huge rumor then that, that Paul had died and been replaced by a lookalike. Now I go, oh God, I, <laughs> I hope he doesn't die very soon. We're losing a lot of these guys. I always used to love those because I love when you kind of pull from like the Twilight Zone. Oh yeah. The, the great thing, like we're doing the movie Parasite next year is you take something that's terrifically plotted and you just can use that plot and, and use the Simpsons as the characters. So yeah, it's it's really fun. I read that you had two world records. One is the longest running primetime animated television show, but probably television show period, I would imagine, right? And then- In the, in the US, we have the longest scripted show. SNL has more episodes that you kind of, it's primetime and-, and uh, like 60 Minutes has had a longer run. Oh, sure, sure. But but for something where it's just the same characters, it used to be Gunsmoke, but they did 635. So, you yeah, know, now we're two years ahead of them. All right, so you blew them away. And then most guest stars featured in a television series. Probably. I would, I would bet there's an average of one a show, so there's probably 700 or more. Do you have like a handful? And I say favorite, I mean like the ones where you like you get giddy when you think they were on your show. <laughs> well, you know, we had Tony Blair when he was prime minister. I got to direct him in 10 Downing Street. That was insane. All three Beatles that we could possibly have. That was amazing. There are people I just love, like Lovitz or late Phil Hartman, Kelsey Grammer. Ann Hathaway, who won any for our show, was really nice and super talented. It's another one. I, I mean, you know, as I said, it shows, shows these crazy and great dividends that I've gotten to meet and you know, work a little with these incredible people from all phases of show business. And, you know, Paul Newman, I didn't meet him, but he did the show. I mean, it's crazy. That's awesome. Do you have any, do you have any guest stars that you just really, oh, why did we have them on the show? There were two that were big pains in the neck. One was Jose Canseco and one was, well, I won't say. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Canseco and I actually had a kind of a reconciliation. I met him in another thing. He was a pain because we had him doing a Bull Durham parody in a, in a bathtub with Mrs. Krabappel, but his wife was mad because he was fooling around then. So he had to keep rewriting it based on her not wanting him, his cartoon character, to be doing that. Got it. All right, I won't push you on that. The Simpsons is uh, renowned for predicting many events, including the Trump presidency. Is there any other ones you think are coming? <laughs> I love that reputation, and the Trump thing is is a pretty amazing thing, even though he was kind of a fringe candidate in 2000. And the original animatic had Johnny Depp, so it was changed to Trump, so that's good. 
There were a couple that were pretty crazy, which was we predicted the U.S. would win a gold medal in curling and that Sweden would be second. We were looking for um, the, looking at the World Cup in Brazil and we thought, well, it'd be funny if Brazil lost because then they're really sad and singing ole, ole. And so we said, okay, Germany would win. And so then Germany did beat Brazil in the World Cup and people thought that was something. But the really most insane one, uh, not funny, but crazy, in a New York episode in the 90s, Bart had a pamphlet that said New York on $9 a day. And the nine was right by the trade towers. So it looked like 9-11. And if you see that still, it's not made up. It actually aired in, the, in like 98. That one, that one's just bizarre. Wow. Then Disney buying 20th Century Fox, they credit you guys for that. And we did predict that, but that, that's an easy one. The Washington Redskins winning smartwatches, Lady Gaga Super Bowl. We had Lady Gaga on the show, so we copied her act, and then she did her act in the Super Bowl, copying our copy. <laughs> so it's like, well, that's our prediction. <laughs> I think now they're getting to the point where they're faking these predictions. Like, I think when the Capitol got stormed, I think they... Oh, oh yeah. No, they, we didn't have anything like that. Although we did have an episode where there was a respiratory virus that uh, came from Asia and there was no vaccine. And uh, they looked for the vaccine in a truck and it was instead of vaccine, it was like killer bees, which are like murder hornets. That was an insane, like three things happening at once. Right. <laughs> All right, we need to stop you guys. You have to predict something good. That's the problem. <laughs> the halftime show was good. You mentioned Phil Hartman. He was, it's, it's, I looked, you know, as I was kind of just prepping, I realized, oh, like that was oh, the decades ago that he was taken from us. And I was like, I can't believe how long it's been, and, like the impact that he's made. I can still hear his Troy McClure voice. Yeah, I don't even think he was 50. This is in the 90s, past. Yeah, very sad. Very sad. There's Kelsey Grammer. These people, do you consider them guests or they're almost like? Uh, more than Kelsey, more than a guest. I mean, he's like a recurring cast member. I mean, every time a guest, he's always said yes. I mean, there's a few people like that. Lovitz has been out about a dozen times. You know, in Tanya, it's Fat Tony, I would say he's got to be over 100 appearances. You know, I mean, and they, again, just he's great. He's really nice. He, tell, he told us when he first did, he goes, if that guy ever comes back and burps, I want to do it. And then uh, Elizabeth Taylor spoke Maggie's her first word. She did. She, she was a, a delight, really, you know, glamorous, huge ring, all true. I mean, but you, the core cast, I mean, you guys, you are so blessed with like, like the greatest. I mean, it's, in, it's, it's incredible. Like, perfect. Yeah. It's, and it's funny, like uh, Dan, who's Homer, when Rob Williams didn't do Aladdin too, like they grabbed him. Oh, he's just a brilliant improv comedian, does many voices. One for voice acting, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, they're all, but they're, they're all great. Nancy does all those voices, like eight-year-old boys, just fantastic. And Hank Azaria is a great actor, Oscar-nominated, incredibly versatile voice actor. Right, and Harry Shearer. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. And Yardley, yeah, no, they're all, and Mark Julie, they're all great. And, you, and most of them were part of those original shorts, right? I mean, they were, they were with Tracy Allman. The four were. Nancy Yardley, Julian, and Dan. Julian and Dan were cast members in Tracy Ellman, and they wanted Tracy to play Marge, and she was too busy. So luckily, they got Julie, who was just perfect. I can't imagine Marge without that voice. So, and they had Dan, you know, just because he was done the cast of that show. And then uh, Nancy and Yardley were hired by casting director specifically to play Bart and Lisa. And then uh, Harry was hired for the show and Hank was hired a little into the show, but he went back and looped everything so that it was consistent. When you when you think of The Simpsons in the very beginning, like what, what were the elements you think that kind of made it the perfect kind of show? I mean, when you had Matt Groening, Sam Simon, James L. Brooks, you, Reese. Well, before you get to me, I was going to say all geniuses in every way. They're both creative geniuses, Jim, Matt and Sam. And business geniuses, you know, like with a real eye for commerciality and making a hit. Matt's a visual genius. Sam had great visual skills. You know, nobody knows how to put a show together or write better than Jim. You know, so you really had like three of the best writer producers of all time doing one show. You know, Modesty, I think they hired great writers at the start. It had a real camaraderie. The directors like David Silverman and Rich Moore. Rich has won an Oscar. David's been nominated. Brad Bird won too. He was on the show then. It just all came together. I mean, the cast was great. There wasn't anything that I thought in the beginning of the show. There wasn't a weakness, except the first episode looked really bad because it was a director who's no longer with us. And that nearly killed everything. <laughs> and it was an episode that was going to air first in September, but they didn't like it. So they moved the premiere to Christmas and used the Christmas show directed by Silverman. And it was an enormous hit, like the first airing was the highest rated show on the history of Fox. 
Wow. Yeah, it, it's a great opening. And it kind of shows the warmth of the family and Homer. Yeah, I worked a, I worked a lot on that one. Like there's a line where um, he's considering whether to adopt the dog and Homer goes, oh, he's pathetic. He's useless. He's a Simpson. Exactly. And you just, you know, those moments were great. So many. And then how much uh, Simpsons stuff do you have? How much swag do you personally have? Like, will you go out and wear a Simpsons shirt? You know, like all that kind of stuff? I don't wear it. I have it all. I have like the jacket and we get nice gifts at uh, premiere parties. I have a lot of t-shirts and um, nice, nice. Well, like here is Spider Pig from the movie. Well, that was nice. So I love that merch. I love, um, I, I particularly love when they do like the Island of Dr. Hibbert playset or they have a Homer Buddha doll, you know, like those things are really imaginative. I have like a whole basement full of uh, when you guys put out that line of Simpson toys. <laughs> yeah, they're great. I love that we have like a Stephen Hawking action figure with his approval. It's great. It's awesome. Yeah. So when you guys, you guys launched, it was huge. And then you did have some, there was some blowback, right? I mean, like the president even came out. He acted at first. I don't think he had seen it at that point. when he said that America should be more like the Waltons than the Simpsons. I think that was a line somebody fed him. There was a lot of controversy because there's a t-shirt that said Bart Simpson underachiever and proud of it. There was controversy because Bart talked back to his parents because he was vulgar. But what's funny about it is flash to 32 years later and we're kind of regarded as an institution or, a, you know, we've been lauded by the Pope. People watching it now and the animation has you know, gotten so omnipresent and, and, you know, some of it so cutting edge that it, it is funny to realize that we were really like pushing the envelope when we started. When, when you started and you... You decide, all right, we're going to have these three running jokes in the, in the opening. I mean, was, was that like purposeful? Like you wanted each kind of opening to be unique in its own way with the couch and the... Yeah, that was Matt's, you know, belief. Because it certainly resembled the opening of the Flintstones, which was the previous, like biggest animated hit. But unlike the Flintstones, changed a little bit, like once from year to year. But Matt wanted to have things where people would even... In the, you know, Ben Beckham shows have long openings so that you would look for seeing to see what the change was in the opening each week. But now we've really cut it down. You know, we're all sick of the main title. So you'll just see like the couch gag. It's always fun to watch. And it's it's one of those things that keeps you from uh, not using that skip intro button on the on the uh, on the stream, streaming platforms. How do you feel about Family Guy? And like, and like, do you guys, do you see it as like a fun rivalry? I mean, if you were to see Seth McFarlane, would you guys kind of like, would you guys have a beer together? Or would yeah. you like, really like kind of doing those? Oh yeah, no, no, I have, I have friends there and I've met Seth. And at the beginning, there was stuff where they were really kind of copying, not just Simpsons, but jokes we had done on a critic. And I wish that they would be a little more original, but they don't do that anymore. I, I'm generally very happy for animation and for my friends working. And they, they did a show, which is a crossover that they wrote. Uh, with us, which was really funny. And a little bit of it was a mea culpa. And I, you know, I thought that that's great. They, they did it. They said that they, you know, are, and, and uh, I was happy to be part of it. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny. You guys kind of subtly throw shade at each other every, every now and then. A little bit, but it's not, it's not personal. No, no, no. no. It's, I like it even better than it's not personal. It just kind of yeah. shows that you're kind of in on it and you're just having fun with it. And it's like, you can both exist in the same world. So that's pretty cool. Just wanted to ask that. Do you have like a um, kind of a favorite joke that you've done? Like, you know, like when I, in the sense of like, where you're just like, you can't even believe you thought about it. It was just such a brilliant, you know, one of those. It just kind of comes to you and like, not necessarily even that you wrote, that's just been on the show. There's a couple. When uh, Stephen Hawking was talking to the people of Springfield, Homer stood up and yelled, Larry Flint is right. And that was a good joke. People <laughs> like that. You know, I came up with the name Santa's Little Helper and that line in the Christmas show. We get the Flaming Mo, the, the Valentine, uh, the names for like Quimby and Bleeding Gums Murphy. In the movie, there was... Um, Flanders turned to Todd and said, that's why you've got the devil's curly hair. I, that was <laughs> I, I was, uh, it was, there was one line that always stuck with me that I always thought was, you know, sometimes you just hear something, you just repeat it. You don't even know why you just, it's, it's like, um, I think it's from the first, it's, it's not quite breakfast. It's not quite lunch, it com- but it comes with a slice of cantaloupe at the end. I think that it's, it's either Brooks or probably Albert, it's either Jim Brooks or Albert Brooks. I think it's Albert. I think it was some guy who's kind of seducing uh, Marge yeah. when they were bowling or something. And like, it was, it was just, it, it was always like a line that kind of just stuck with me. I was like, I'll always kind of, it's not the way breakfast. It, it's funny how like things like stick with you like that. Like, uh, yeah. 
And then your your wife is a writer on the show as well? She's in 11 episodes. Yeah, one of them won um, the Writers Guild Award, and uh, she's very, very funny. How did you meet your wife? We met I um, through, um, we were both in a breakup of uh, different people, and one of the mutual friends, a writer on the show, uh, introduced us. And that was like the, the greatest setup. It was really, really, you know, we've been married 20 years now. That's awesome. And so it's, it, it's cool that you guys are into the same things and like she writes for the show and how many Emmys have you won? I, I said, I read eight, nine. nine. Okay. Nine. Every, every place you read, is like a different number. So I'm afraid of saying the number, you know, you don't know if the Wikipedia is updated or not. It's, uh, nine Emmys. That's cool. Where do you keep your Emmys? Al? My wife put them uh, high on a shelf, which I, I prefer. It's like the, you don't, you know, it's not being in your face. Although if there's an earthquake, they'll fall and kill us all. They're very heavy and pointy. Okay. So when you came back as showrunner for season 13 solo, did you make any changes or like? Very minor. You know, every showrunner, when they take over, always says we're going to get back to basics. So I was going to get back to basics and do family oriented stories orienting on the family, not necessarily, you know, just PG. But there was a writer that we had that uh, I'd worked with who was talented, but was not you know, friendly to the other writers. I said, if you have to, if, if you want to continue, you have to just encourage other people's work. And he came and he said, I can't do that. <laughs> so he left. Uh, also, you know, sometimes I, when I when I came back, more than half of the hires I've had have been diversity hires. I heard that the first African-American writer, the first Latin writer, the first, not the first one, but many women writers and that I'm glad of. First regular African-American cast member, Michael Richardson. Very cool. So what do you think is the legacy of The Simpsons? Like, what do you, what, when people think of The Simpsons, what do you hope that kind of comes to their mind? Well, it's like Mary Tyler Moore was for me, both a show that you could watch with your kid and both enjoy it, and a show that when you're feeling a little down, you've got it there. It's, it's like a, a non-addictive way to cheer yourself up. I hope it'll always be there for people in that way. If you were to look at the full TV kind of landscape, where do you think The Simpsons has impacted other shows and other people the most? Like, Oh, you can look at like Third Rock admits that, like, that they're fast cutting and you know, like they'll say, you remember when? And then they cut to something that happened. That's Simpsons style. Things are quicker. You know, if you look at the 80s shows, even the It's Gary Shandling show, they move so slowly. Post-Simpsons, people are much more used to Quick cutting, cultural references, very obscure thing. You know, it, I won't say it's all due to us. And, I, you know, we rest on the shoulders of things that preceded us, like CCTV and Bullwinkle. It definitely was, a, you know, a fork. Seinfeld was transformative in that way, too. Us and Seinfeld, you know, really, the shows that came after that were just totally different pace and structure than the ones that came before. If you were told that you had to end the show after these two renewal seasons, like how in your head would you end it? I don't mean specifically, but like, would you see it as kind of like an open-ended thing, like a finite thing? Like, I, I have I have one idea, which I don't know. It won't be up to me. But the idea I had was that you end with them going to that Christmas pageant that's the beginning of the first show so that the series is not an end. It's a full loop. And the cartoons don't really end or age. They just you know, exist in continuous time. So that, that would be my ending. I love that ending. Oh, maybe we'll do it. You should totally do it. You helped construct the Universal Ride? I worked on it, yeah. Yeah. Which was a cool thing. It was it was in, uh, having trouble, wasn't coming together, so I got called in in the middle. And for something that was in trouble, it turned out so well. I, I was really pleased. And those things are tricky because you not only have to be funny, you have to not kill people. <laughs> Like there's safety inspections and there's the issue of nausea. You know, it's tricky. I've been to Universal twice. So the first time we would do the ride, we loved it. I just I asked my kid just before, uh, and they're like, oh, Simpsons ride. It's my favorite ride. Admittedly, I need to take breaks in between it because my body needs to readjust. It's a little tough. The second time we went back, though, you had the whole Springfield. Like there was a whole little mini. That was wonderful designing. Yeah, I mean, my favorite thing is just to sit in Moe's and have a beer and go, can't believe I'm actually doing this. You know, I'm in Moe's bar. <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah, that must be quite a uh, a thrill for you. Yeah. I mean, to like to be part of like having created this worldwide cultural phenomenon, can't even imagine. And it's still going. It's, it's so cool. Thank you so much for hanging with me. My pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. Very, uh, I hope everything goes well and, and stay safe and healthy. And maybe we'll have a winning team in Detroit soon. Perhaps we shall. Is there, how, how can people keep up with you on the socials? Oh, I'm on Twitter, at LG. At LG. Awesome. Oh, thank you very much. Can't thank you enough. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Great to meet you. All right. How amazing was that? Al Jean, ladies and gentlemen, it was a pleasure having animation royalty visit live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. I do want to do a quick shout out to Karen Bell Breggi and Darren Breggi 
Karen was Marge and Darren was Homer earlier. They are voiceover artists, improv comics, school and association presenters, authors, illustrator of 14 children books, Michigan Reading Association winner, Gren Frostick Award winner, and they enjoy spending time at Most Tavern. You can find them at KarenAndDarren.com. I'll put their information in the show notes. I'm honored that they've been friends of mine for many, many, many years, and it was a joy having them on the show. But here we are, nearing the end of the one-year anniversary show. Can you believe it? We're almost through another episode, finishing up one year of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Jawaskin Show. I can't believe it. I'm so happy you're all here with me. I'm so happy we're able to share all these moments together. But being at the end of the show, you know what that means. That means it's time for another hashtag from the family of Hashtag Games at Hashtag Roundup. Follow Hashtag Roundup on Twitter at Hashtag Roundup. And download the free Hashtag Roundup app on Google Play or iTunes, Apple for your iOS phones. Play Hashtag Games with Hashtag Roundup all day, every day. And one day, one of your tweets may show up on an episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. How exciting is that? Today's hashtag, in honor of Al Jean and the Simpsons, comes to us from Hashtag You're It, McMahon's weekly game on Hashtag Roundup. Hashtag Simpsons Presidential Slogans. That's right, they predicted Donald Trump would be president, and now we're going to dive into some fun hashtag Simpsons presidential slogans. Spider pig for president does whatever a spider pig does. It takes two to lie, one to lie, and one to listen. Homer Simpson for president, jiggling for justice. Please choo choo choose me. Homer for president, he's SMRT. I mean, SMART. Have the last laugh for another four or 30 years. Don't have a cow, man. Just vote. Don't. Ha ha. Oakley dokley. A three-eyed fish in every pot. These are some amazing hashtag Simpson presidential slogans. And let's wrap it up with forget the orange guy. Vote for a yellow guy. Ho. Those are some great hashtag Simpsons presidential slogans. Well, that brings us to the end of yet another episode. Can you believe it? We're at the end, the very end. I think we have one special message from a couple friends, and then we'll see you next week. Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy, 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 happy! happy. All right, Marge, it's only his first one. Don't do the whole song. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.